0: Welcome back to Center Ice. I'm Mac. Here's Matt with me as always. This is part two of our trade deadline edition where we look at the Western Conference. So not quite as much activity trade-wise in the West this year compared to the East. But still a lot of teams gunning for playoff position. A lot of teams got better. So let's start with the team that's number one and the defending Stanley Cup champions, the St. Louis Blues.
1: Yeah, let's jump in to the defending Stanley Cup champions. Really a fantastic season for the St. Louis Blues, and that's without one of their best players and Vladimir Tarasenko. And I'm telling you, these St. Louis Blues, they're really contending to repeat as Stanley Cup champions. And uh, I don't know if the mic picked up. um, I'd say my cat Oscar here agrees with me. The Blues have just been unbelievable this year. I haven't gotten a chance to watch as many Blues games as I've wanted to just because of work and whatnot, but when I have, I've just been amazed. They haven't skipped a beat. I'm sure you've heard about the Stanley Cup hangover before, and I'd say it's a real thing, but I don't think the Blues ever really had much of a hangover coming into the season this year, and they didn't make a whole lot of moves at the deadline, really. The big one really was getting marco scandela from montreal but they didn't really give up a whole lot for him they you give up a 2020 second round pick and you give up a conditional fourth round pick next year and really that's all st louis really had to do because they've been so good this year they didn't need to make big moves and i think that they're a team that really will contend for the cup. This
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest surprise for me with St. Louis this year has been David Perron. I mean, leading them in points with 60. And then when you talk about depth, this team has depth. Ryan O'Reilly at 59 points, Braden Shen, 57, Jaden Schwartz, 57, Petrangelo, 50, and then Robert Thomas, 42. They have basically been able to play without Vladimir Tarasenko, no problem. And they haven't had him for most of the season. And then you look at the goaltending. I mean, the goaltending has been outstanding. Both goalies, Jake Allen, actually, in terms of save percentage, although he's played less, of course. He's played 23 games, 2.20 goals against, 9.25 save percentage. Jordan Bennington has played a lot more at 50 games with a 9-12 save percentage and a 2.56 goals against average. But both goalies have been very good. And like you said, just not much of a Stanley Cup hangover. They lost a couple guys, but it hasn't really affected them, it seems. Like you lost Pat Maroon, for example, and he's kind of had the same role with Tampa Bay, who is not quite as good as St. Louis, but they're still very good. And you mentioned Scandela it was just kind of a depth move and and i'll give them credit for not trying to do too much here because
1: well when you're when, that good you don't need to do much right
0: exactly but i it's think not, it's, it it i think it's easy. easier to i think it's easier to say that than to do that you know what i mean because i'm sure there were some there were some tempting moves out there because there were big names flying around like Crider, before he resigned you know to foley All these guys were out there, Coleman, and they were going to cost you a pretty penny. But ultimately, the Blues just said, you know what? We're good enough as is. Let's just tweak this roster a little bit. You give up a second-round pick, like you mentioned, to get Scandella. And ever since they got him, they've been pretty much unbeatable. So, yeah, I mean...
1: Doug Armstrong, you got to give him a lot of credit there, Matt. When you're winning and you've got the good chemistry those are the types of moves that you make to win even more. And it, as you said, they've pretty much been undefeated since they acquired him. And St. Louis, I'd say even though they're in a real battle with Colorado right now to crown the Central Division champ, I, I really think St. Louis over Colorado, I, I'm still going to hold on to that. I think Colorado is a very good team and will get to them. But I think St. Louis is just in such a good groove right now. You look at their their last 10 8 2 and 0. I think that even though Colorado has been great, I think St. Louis just is a little bit better and I think that they can take home the Central Division crown here.
0: Yeah, I'll agree with you on that one. I think all all of us kind of fell in love with the Colorado Avalanche after that playoff run, but really if you look at the Avs this year, I mean, Nathan McKinnon is just carrying this team. And last year, you saw the numbers Rantanen was putting up. Rantanen is not having the same type of year. Basically, there's a massive point gap between McKinnon and I think it's Kale McCarr uh, for points on the Colorado Avalanche. The goaltending has been a little bit inconsistent. I think they expected more from Grubauer, and now they've got this Francois kid who they signed, and he's been very good for them. I just not quite everything has has worked out the way they intended it to, but let's talk about what they did at the deadline. They're only two points behind Saint Louis. They do have a game in hand. They could still win this division. So let's get to the moves they made. First of all, from your senators, they acquired Vladislav Domestnikov, and he's been playing with McKinnon. <laughs> That's pretty nice. For a fourth round pick
1: yeah I'd say that was a a solid pickup by joe Sakik uh, Nemestikoff, the thing that i liked about him here in ottawa he's is that he's done a he did a fair amount here in Ottawa with very little let's be honest he he put up about ten goals he got you know he had about 20, 30 points here in ottawa and, which on the senators is may not seem may not seem like a much compared to the rest of the league but for the Ottawa senators that's pretty darn good. And you didn't give up a whole lot for Nemestikov. And he's put up some decent numbers in his few games in Colorado. And I think that come playoff time, he's the type of forward you need. Even if you have him on your third or fourth line come playoff time, he's the type of player you need. He's got some speed. He's got some strength. And he certainly has the skill. And Mm -hmm. I think that that'll move could really pay off in space for Joe Sakic if he needs to call upon that depth.
0: Yeah, and that's really the only move they made. They made a very minor move to get some goaltending depth, acquiring Michael Hutchinson from Toronto for Cali Rosen. Again, like really not much made there. And I think if you're Joe Sackick, you say, why do I need to do too much? Yeah, maybe we have a little bit of a goaltending issue, but the prices for the goalies are kind of ridiculous, and we still have good goaltending. And we're only two points behind St. Louis, so we've had a great year. We just have to uh, trust in the guys we have and trust in our coaching staff and see what happens. And I think there's two things you can do to trade that line. Number one, you can make some big moves, and that does send a good message to the locker room saying you're in it to win it, for example. But also, I think there's there's an equal message sent when you make these kind of minor tweaks where you say, hey, we believe in you guys and we know what you can do, so we're just adding a little bit here and the rest is on you.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that Colorado, Joe Sack, certainly has put a lot of faith in his current players. And I think that if Colorado, we don't start seeing some results come playoff time, not that I think some big moves are going to happen, but I certainly think that Joe Sackick will be more inclined to make some bigger moves come draft day. And I think that Colorado, even though, as you mentioned, McKinnon's just been carrying this team, you and I both know how good this team can be. And if, if they can find a way to get that team going on the level they were last year, I'd watch out for Colorado.
0: Oh, absolutely. So let's move on to the Dallas Stars at 82 points, uh 69 games played. So they're they're 10 points behind St. Louis, 8 points behind Colorado. And they didn't really do much either, but again, I think first of all, they don't have a lot of cap space. And second of all, I think you clearly believe in what you've got there. And Dallas they're kind of like they're kind of like Columbus in the way they play, but at the same time they have a little bit more star power. But again, this is a very good defensive team. They're never gonna have a high goal differential, and they have excellent goaltending between Hudobin and Bishop. So I'm not really surprised they didn't do much. I think I would have liked them to maybe get a little bit more bottom six scoring. I'm not sure how much the bottom six is doing for the Dallas Stars this year. But, I mean, other than that, there wasn't much for them to do. Their defense is good. Their forward group is good. They don't need goalies. So, I mean, I like the fact that you just kind of
1: trusted in what you have, to be honest. And I think we're seeing that a lot more from Western teams this year than we did from Eastern teams, because everything in the West compared to the East and not, not counting the Metropolitan Division, but I'd say particularly in the uh, West, everything's a lot tighter. Everything, every team seems to be a lot more comfortable with the wa- roster that they have going down the stretch run into early April compared to the East, where there were a lot of teams that are close together, but GMs in the East seem to have the opinion of we need some, we need some more pieces to get us over to the top. So I think that there's a different mindset from GMs in the East and GMs in the West this year, and the trade deadline really shows it.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And we'll we'll get to more of those West teams in just a second, but I want to finish on the Dallas Stars. You've gotten fifty points from Tyler Sagan in sixty-nine games, which is not probably where he wants to be. And then there's just a huge drop off. Jamie Benn has thirty-nine points. Heiskanen, 35, Radulov, 34, Hintz, 33, Klingberg, 32, Pavelski, 31.
1: Well, they need much... more
0: from those guys.
1: Yeah. And then if you much... look
0: at the bottom six, Matt, like, for example, Matias Janmark, 21 points. Jason You're Dickinson, 21 points. You need more.
1: You're absolutely right. After Sagan, pretty much everyone's in the mid-30s or – Even the 20s, and that's not good enough to go on a playoff run. You and I have known from watching playoff hockey for a long time now that you got to have those depth players step up if you want to contend for the Stanley Cup. And Dallas right now is on a bit of a losing skid. They've lost six in a row right now, and I think the reason why there's not as much panic in Dallas as there would be in a place like Florida or Pittsburgh is because you look at the Central Division standings, Dallas still has a four-point cushion on Nashville. However, I think if you're Dallas, you got to get the win soon because Nashville is a team that can turn it on anytime and they can make you pay for it.
0: Yeah, they've gotten hot lately as Nashville, and that's mostly due to the play of UC Saros, who has basically spelled Pekka Renee, who is not having a good year whatsoever. And, and to be fair, Saros was not having a good year either until recently. So the Predators have gone on a bit of a run here. 6-3 and 1 in their last 10. They've won 3 in a row. Their goal differential is down to negative 2. However, they're still they're still kind of uh not in an enviable position here because you've got 78 points. So does Vancouver. Winnipeg has 78 Minnesota has 77. Arizona has 74. So there are four teams within four points of each other, which is absolutely crazy. The good thing about Nashville is they do have a game in hand on Winnipeg. So to me, I think I'm starting to question if the Coyotes are, are in that race as much as they were because there's just been a lot of injuries and they've been inconsistent. And I don't know if they can keep up with Minnesota Winnipeg Vancouver, and Nashville, but I mean again this is this is gonna be tough for Nashville, even though as you mentioned they've been hot lately uh it does help that the stars have been ice cold losing six in a row, three five, and two in their last ten. It's funny how things work out that way
1: yeah it is I think that Dallas certainly can turn it around I'd say they they don't have an easy schedule. I, I, I don't believe in the easy schedule thing because when you get into March, April, no, every team's playing their hardest. However, compared to some of their opponents, the teams they have to face, you face Florida on Thursday at home, you face San Jose at home on Saturday, you face Arizona on Monday, which will be a big game, you face the Golden Knights, then you, you come back home and you face the red-hot Philadelphia Flyers and then you play Winnipeg a couple of days later so it's it's an easier schedule than some other teams but it's certainly not a cakewalk and i think that you got to take this schedule seriously even if you're playing a lot of teams that aren't in playoff spots you got to get these wins when you can because Nashville is right on your tail and so is Winnipeg
0: yeah, absolutely. So let's move on to the aforementioned Nashville Predators. Like I said, they're at 78 points. They're trying to chase down Dallas, and they're getting close, but they're not quite there yet. Didn't do much at the deadline. You acquired Ben Harper for Mika Salomaki. That's more of a minor league depth trade, getting a defenseman for a forward. You did acquire Corbinian Holzer for Matt Irwin and a six-round pick. That gives them a little bit more depth on defense, and he's been good with them so far. Again, that's a that's a low-cost move. There's very little risk in that. And I think the biggest thing is you kind of made your own little trade deadline acquisition, it seems, with this brilliant play of U C Saros lately. And Saros is a guy that a lot of people feel has the talent and ability to take over the crease from Pekka Rene as he gets older, and kind of declines overall, and they've been waiting for him to take over. Maybe we're starting to see that now. I mean, he has been unbelievable lately.
1: I would agree. I remember UC Saros whenever he come in and fill for Pekarine. There was so much potential there, and he had a lot. He has a lot of raw talent. And as you said, a lot of people were just wondering when is he finally going to take over for Pekarine. And I guarantee you. That if he can carry this team in the playoffs over the next two three weeks, I think that that might just cement it.
0: Yeah, it's it's certainly possible. Although I I don't know. I mean, it's there's so many good teams fighting for that for those two spots right now. But in Nashville's case, if the Stars continue to struggle, you may not have to worry about that wild card spot. You may be able to get in in a division spot. So. I think their best chance might be just that. You know, maybe maybe the Stars continue to struggle and you start racking up wins like you've been doing, and then before you know it, you're in a division spot.
1: It certainly would be more comforting to be in a division spot than it would be in being in a wildcard spot because then you avoid the St. Louis Blues, really. Because I'd say between facing Colorado or St. Louis, I think that they match up better against Colorado. I think they get a better shot against Colorado.
0: Yeah, although
1: <laughs> well, yeah, those, those are both awfully tough matchups for sure. But the other option is if you fall to the wild card, of course, everything's really up in the air, so take this all with a grain of salt, Mac. But if you look at it, you fall to the wild card, now you face a team like Vegas- or Edmonton, and I'd say between Edmonton and Vegas, I'd rather face Vegas because mm. Edmonton has Leon Draisaitl and Connor McDavid. Yep. But still, if you can end up third in your division, it's just a, it means it's a lot more comforting. You only really have to worry. Once you get into that spot, you just need to maintain it, and there's a lot less teams fighting for that third spot in the central than there are fighting for those two wildcard spots.
0: Yeah, that's true. So let's finish on the Predators. Right now their top scorer is Roman Yossi, who has just been absolutely amazing this year. In 69 games played, he has 65 points. The next best player on the roster is Philip Forsberg at 48. So just he is almost 20 points ahead of a forward, and he's a defenseman as the top scorer on that team. He has been unbelievable. Matthew Shane has 42 Ryan Ellis, 38. Johansson, 36. Again, kind of like the Dallas Stars, you need more from these guys. Your big guys are are doing what they can, and Yossi is doing everything he can. Obviously, we mentioned the play of Saros lately, but if you want to make the playoffs and even go on some kind of a run, you need more from your top six.
1: Absolutely. I think we'll be saying that a lot throughout this episode because – it bears true. You need to have your depth boards pick it up. You can't have such a big disparity in the amount of points that players are getting on the team. And this isn't to take away from guys like Roman Yosi because he's had an absolutely amazing year. He's he's really helped propel this Nashville Predators team along with UC Soros. But you you gotta have more than just two or three guys.
0: Yeah. No doubt. So I think, I think we are, we're both not really sure on Nashville. We think they're capable of making the playoffs, but it's certainly going to be tough. And like we said, if the stars continue to free fall, like they are right now, the stars are falling. Yeah. Pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Um it's possible they're in a division spot, but if the Stars figure things out, then maybe you have to roll that out and wild card is is what you have to do to get into the playoffs. But let's talk about the team that is basically right on their right on their backs with the Winnipeg Jets.
1: Yeah, the Jets pretty much in an identical situation, at least standings wise, to the Nashville Predators. They have one more game played than Nashville, which I think, gives Nashville a, a big edge right now. But Winnipeg, 6-3-1 and in their last 10 as well. They've won three in a row as well. And Winnipeg, they made a few minor moves as well. It, it's a trend, we've as we mentioned, we've seen across the Western Conference as a whole. Of course, they go out and get Dylan DeMello from the Ottawa Senators. I, I think a very solid move there. for They basically get him for nothing. They get him for a, a late pick. Yeah coming up. I think, I lost my note here, Mac. It, there's so Third, many round, pick.
0: Third there, round pick. Third round pick in 2020.
1: Yes. There we go. I knew I had a feeling it was this year, but wasn't quite sure whether it was next year. Anyways, you still don't give up much for Dylan DeMello, and he's been pretty good in his time in, in Winnipeg. He's given them some nice depth on their defense there, and it not only does it not cost, not cost you much in terms of assets, it doesn't cost you much on the salary cap. I think that's one of the best moves Winnipeg made and particularly right now in what has been a real tight race for that wild card and Winnipeg I'm sure would love to vault themselves into the division spot as well they also go out and get Cody Eakin from Vegas for a 2021 conditional fourth round pick and that pick becomes a third rounder if the Jets make the playoffs or resign Cody Eakin, again, another solid death move. You don't give up much for Cody Eakin. He slides in nicely there in your bottom six, but can also easily move up into your top six if you need him to. And I think that those those are two real good moves from Winnipeg. What about you, Mac?
0: Yeah, that's that's a great point. Again, just minor tweaks. You You trust in the guys you have. Winnipeg has been kind of up and down most of the season. I think everybody expected that they were going to be not quite the powerhouse they were last year because just so many losses in the offseason. But I think we we did not give them enough credit for what they got for Jacob Truba because you look at how well Neil Pionk has played. He has basically outplayed Jacob Truba, who signed a massive contract with the New York Rangers. And yes, he's not really an offensive defenseman, but... It's worth noting that Pionk has really established himself as a reliable top-four defender, and he's racking up the points for the Winnipeg Jets this year.
1: Yeah, you make a great point there. Looking at the Winnipeg Jets' current statistics, compared to teams like Nashville and Dallas, where there's a, a real scoring disparity in terms of points, you look at Winnipeg, Mark Scheifele's got 72. He's leading the team right now. He's had a fantastic year. Kyle Connor is one point behind him, though. He's got 36 goals and 35 assists, to total of 71 points. Blake Wheeler's about eight behind him. He's got 63 this year. And then Patrick Laine is right there as well. He's got 62 points this year. He's got 27 goals, and it looks like he'll get to 30 again this year. And then right behind him is Nikolai Ehlers followed by Neil, P- Neil Pionk. This is a Winnipeg team, I'd say, compared to previous years where you saw that scoring disparity. You're not seeing as much this year, and I think that really bodes well for Winnipeg.
0: Yeah, and, and you mentioned Line A. I have to give him a ton of credit for just how much he's improved his all-around game this year. He has basically become really a pass-first player. He shoots when there's an opportunity to shoot and score, for example, on the power play with that patented one-timer of his. But other than that, he has become a guy who will stick up for teammates when there's a big hit in the corner. Um, He'll be physically engaged in a game no matter what. Like I said, he's a pass-first player. He's now much more of a team-oriented guy. And I think that has just made him even better and I think you look at the shot totals right now at 224. That's nowhere near where he would have been, for example, last year, trying to win the Rocket Richard and basically being a one-dimensional player. So give the kid credit. I mean, he's done a lot of good stuff this year, and, and I'm excited to see what, what this player is going to become if he continues in this direction.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think that... Patrick Liney's become a better player. He's become a more dangerous player now that he's really figured out that passing game. He's become a better overall player and really will help Winnipeg in this tough in this tough race to land down a wild card spot. Right now they are just outside the playoffs, but as Mac mentioned, they're on the backs of Nashville. They've actually got a better row right now. They've got thirty three where Nashville has thirty-two. So that would give them a tiebreaker in the final, if this was the final standings, which it obviously isn't. And I think Winnipeg's getting hot at the right time, and there are teams in front of them that are getting cold. And if they can really go on a run here over the next couple weeks, I don't see any reason why they can't make it into the Stanley Cup playoffs.
0: Yeah, and and their MVP has definitely been Connor mean He has just been unbelievable this year after kind of a down year last season. He has really bounced back, and and to me, he is absolutely in the Vesna conversation, whether he wins or not, and he won't win the Hart Trophy, for example, but to me, this guy has been the most valuable player to his team, without a doubt. I mean, he has held them in this race through injuries and inconsistencies pretty much all season.
1: Yeah, Hellebuck has really rebounded to a. A down year last year, and really it wasn't that bad of a down year compared to some other goalies we've seen. He's been pretty consistent for Winnipeg since he's become the number one goaltender, and that'll certainly help Winnipeg. I think that between Nashville and Winnipeg, as much as Nashville has the game in hand, I like what I'm seeing from Winnipeg more. I think they've got better depth, and I think that if they can keep Keep the hot hand. Between Winnipeg and Nashville, I think I have to go Winnipeg. It's just that game at hand that kind of has me a little concerned. But if if Winnipeg can go out and play some good hockey, I don't see why they won't make the playoffs. Plus, they also have a game against Nashville on the 24th of March. So that'll be a big game. If they can beat that, my confidence on Winnipeg making the playoffs will really go through the roof.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I like their chances as well, Uh, although the next team we're going to talk about, the Minnesota Wild, I I love everything about what they're doing right now, and they are only one point behind the Jets and the Predators. They have gone on some kind of run, and really, they, they were sellers at the deadline, and some people were saying... Oh, here we go. This team is kind of tanking again. When they traded away Jason Zucker for Alex Golchenya, Kaelin Addison, and a 2020 first-round pick, but this team has done the exact opposite. They have surged. They're basically one of the hottest teams in the league. Seven, three, and oh in their last ten. They've won one, and I think the biggest acquisition, I guess, for them. Kind of like UC Saros, I mentioned. Kevin Fiala has just been on another level lately. Recently a tweet from the Minnesota Wild uh, Public Relations Department. Minnesota Wild forward Kevin Fiala leads the NHL in power play goals with seven, ranks tied for first in power play points with 11, second in shots on goal at 78, Tied for second in goals at 14, and third in scoring with 26 points since February 4th. I mean, this is a guy that you really thought was going to be something, and has been a little bit underwhelming, but man, has he figured it out lately. And he has been outstanding. This is another one of those questionable trades that the Nashville Predators have made, and the Minnesota Wild are loving this one.
1: Absolutely. I remember watching Kevin Fiala over the last couple of years in Nashville and thinking that he's he's a player with some real potential. He's a solid forward in Nashville. And then and then they trade him away for really not a huge return. And I think this is another one of those trades that's going to come back and, and bite Nashville. And certainly right now it has. And I think – that if you're Minnesota, you take those trades every single day.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So, yeah,
0: and Minnesota, they, they're they kind of like, like first of all, Bruce Boudreau is no longer the head coach. They have an interim coach. And so far, they have not missed a beat with him. They're kind of the same team you expect them to be. They're good defensively. They play hard. They're aggressive on the forecheck. And... You know, Ryan Suter is having another banner year of 48 points. Eric Stahl, once again, a good year. Parisi, not a bad year for him. 25 goals, 21 assists, 46 points. Zuccarello's chipping in. So, but also the goaltending. I mean, Alex Stalock recently has been quite good. Devin Dubnik, overall, the numbers don't look great, but we know he can be better. So this Minnesota team, to me, is is dangerous, and I think definitely has a shot at, at beating out either Winnipeg or Nashville for one of those final playoff spots.
1: Yeah, I think there's some potential there for Minnesota. My question is, do you think it was uh, maybe just too little, too late? Not saying they're out of the playoff race, but I they're certainly in the thick of things. But I'd say between the three of those teams. Do you think that Minnesota has enough to get over the hump here?
0: I mean, I guess the question is how far can Kevin Fiala carry them because he's basically doing his best impression of Nathan McKinnon since early February, and speaking it's not Nathan, stopping anytime soon. So I, I don't well, know. I feel Nathan, I feel good, good about the way they're here. playing.
1: Well, oh yes, Nathan, McKinnon. Go ahead. Uh, he is out. Two one to two weeks with a lower body injury right now. Uh oh, that's what Bob McKenzie is saying right now. So obviously, at the time of this recording, this is breaking news. By the time we get this up, it won't be. But I'll, I'll tell you, Mac. I think that that certainly puts a damper in Colorado's at least division title ambitions. I'm not worried about them not making the playoffs, and of course Nathan McKinnon will be back by the time the playoffs get started, but you look, I'm very confident in saying now that St. Louis is going to win the Central Division, because as you and I have mentioned earlier in this very episode, that Nathan McKinnon is carrying this team right now. He's been unbelievable, and I think that even if he's only out for one week, that'll really hurt yeah. Yeah. the Colorado Avalanche's production
0: but you can look at this two ways as well i mean in terms of the hart trophy discussion if the avs really kind of struggle in these next in this next little while before the playoffs his case for mvp gets even stronger because you see what they're like without him and some people have said to me that without him this is a borderline non-playoff team and as much as as that seems crazy i think i agree i mean he has been that good unbelievable season for Nathan McKinnon.
1: For me, that's that's a tough call whether they're a borderline playoff team or not. Just based off the production, I don't even know if they're in the conversation for playoffs. I think they'd be kind of closer down to where Arizona is right now, and that, I think, is me being generous. I think that Nathan McKinnon, he, he's taken the entire Colorado Avalanche and put them on his back, and he's going to carry them into the playoffs here. And as you said, I think that if Colorado, Colorado struggles here, I think Nathan McKinnon's really got a good case for Hart Trophy. Not that he didn't already, but if if the Avalanche struggle, it's certainly looking good for a Hart Trophy for McKinnon. But it's not gonna be good for the Avalanche because obviously you wanna get that top spot, you wanna get the easiest playoff matchup possible. You'd rather face second wildcard team than the uh, third place team in your division, even if that is a team like Dallas, Nashville, or Winnipeg, and which is in theory is worse, they are worse than your team, but if if a team like Nashville or Winnipeg is coming in hot, then it suddenly becomes a lot more difficult. Just look at av- the very Avalanche last year against Calgary. Calgary was top seed in the Pacific. They were looking like they were going to roll on around you, but. Colorado came in hot. They've been playing playoff type hockey for two or three weeks, so, and they take out Calgary in five. So you can't underestimate these teams that squeak into the third, the first, second, or even third spot in your d- division. Right?
0: Yeah, for sure. So I Sorry. I mean we'll we'll see what happens with the avalanche down the stretch. I mean obviously it's going to be tough for him to beat out Drysdale. It seems like he's got that in the bag, but obviously he deserves to be very high in that conversation. I think Panarin should probably be higher because yes, Sabinajad plays for the Rangers, but what he's done with the Rangers this year has been absolutely incredible. Again, he has basically carried them. The goaltending has been good, but he's the one that's putting up the points when they need them the most. So let's move on to the Chicago Blackhawks now as we finish the central division. Pierre Sellers here, you traded away Eric Gustafsson to the Flames for a third-round pick, uh 2020 conditional. And then you made kind of a complicated trade, with the Vegas Golden Knights and Toronto Maple Leafs, where the Leafs acquired a fifth-round pick in 2020. The Blackhawks acquired a second-round pick in 2020, along with Malcolm Subban and Slava Demon. And the Vegas Golden Knights got Robin Lehner and Martin Zirkels from the Blackhawks and Maple Leafs. And then you made a minor trade, acquiring TJ Brennan for Nathan Noel. But the Blackhawks, I think... They took a realistic look and they said, this team is not ready to make the playoffs. And I'll give them credit for that because they they were in the race, but I mean, it's it's kind of the same old story with the Blackhawks once again, although this year more than ever, because it has not been a good year for Dylan Strome and Alex Debrinkat, who you were really counting on to kind of spearhead this team into hopefully a playoff spot. Although you do have to mention a great rookie performance from Dominic Kubelik, who has been playing a little bit with Jonathan Tays, and obviously Patrick Kane is going to do Patrick Kane things. But again, this Blackhawks team really needs to kind of step back and add more young pieces before they can contend again, I feel.
1: Yeah, it would be... Going to be in agreement with you, Matt. I think that they're a team heading slowly in the right direction. I think that things will get better. And you know what? If Chicago was in the Pacific, I think that they very well might be contending for a playoff spot because the Central has just been really tough on them this year. Not taking away anything from some of those Pacific Division teams, but let's say let's compare them to the Arizona Coyotes, a team that they're only four points behind. Do you really think that they, if they were in the Pacific division and playing Pacific Division teams more, which isn't going to happen, but let's say they were Mac, do you think that they would be any worse than the Arizona Coyotes? I think they'd be better, just the way Arizona's played.
0: Yeah, I, that, that's a fair point. Um, no, that's not they, saying they are anything. in a they are in a very good division, and that's that's uh, kind of been tough on them. For the last mm. couple of years,
1: and look, that's not me saying they're going to make the playoffs. They they would make the playoffs in the Pacific, but I think that they would have a better shot at it, and I think that they would have a few more points than they do right now. Obviously, they still have a few, a little ways to go. They aren't a playoff team in either division, in my opinion, but just saying they're they're heading in the right direction. And of course, as long as you have guys like Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. Your your team's always going to have a chance to compete for a playoff spot. That's just how yeah. good it goes
0: to all. Yeah. So the one thing we mentioned, I think, before is we wonder about when one of the big pieces leaves. And I've heard Duncan Keith's name mentioned quite a bit. I heard teams called about him. I don't think any team's called about Taze or Kane because I don't think those guys are going anywhere, and rightfully so. But I think maybe Duncan Keith moves on. I think maybe Corey Crawford moves on this summer. I mean, I think you have to give them credit for drafting Kirby Doc. He looks like an excellent young player uh, when you had a tough decision to make at the top of that draft class. So, I mean, it's not all bad for the Blackhawks, let's be honest. It's just they just they need to keep improving. They need to get a little bit younger, and they need to kind of retool a little bit. I think the biggest priority this offseason has to be goaltending because, first of all, Corey Crawford, not a young guy anymore. The numbers are decent. I mean, 2.79 goals against average, 916 save percentage, although Robin Lehner was far better than him when he was playing. And I don't think Malcolm Subin is any sort of long-term solution either. I mean, he was kind of a throw-in in that Robin Lehner deal. So, yeah, I mean... Get I I'll give them credit for stepping back and saying this team isn't ready to win. Let's get what we can for a laner. And you ended up getting a second round pick and a couple prospects. So that's not bad. I would say a good job overall by the Blackhawks at the deadline.
1: Yeah, considering the situation they were in, not bad at all.
0: All right. Let's move over to the Pacific Division and a new team at the top the Vegas Golden Knights made a couple big moves.
1: Yeah, they did. Uh, Of course, they're at the top right now, Mac, but by the time this episode gets up, knowing how tight that Pacific Division is, at least at the top, very well could change here. But in terms of moves they made at the deadline here, Mac, you're right, they did make a couple big moves here. Starting off, earlier in the day, they go to Montreal and pick up Nick Cousins for a 2021 fourth-round pick. I think that Once again, we've been saying a lot, not a whole lot of big moves in terms of getting big names, but a few moves here and there that will really help Vegas in their playoff ambitions. Of course, as you just mentioned, they get Robin Leonard and a bit of a complicated deal between Chicago and Toronto. Robin Leonard has looked very good in Las Vegas so far. I like what I'm seeing from him. And the big thing with Robin Leonard is it gives you certainty on the back end. Before, it was really just Marc-Andre Fleury, nothing against Malcolm Subban, but as soon as Marc-Andre Fleury got hurt or needed a day off on a back-to-back, the chances of Vegas winning certainly were decreased by having Malcolm Subban in the net. Now that you've got a a real solid goaltender and a real solid backup option in Robin Leonard, you could split the time between the two of those guys, and both have looked very good, and really helps bolster the Vegas Golden Knights, at least on the goaltending front.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point you made. Um, something to look for in the off season is there's talk that maybe they'll sign Leonard and let Fleury go uh, as hard as that se- would seem to happen. It's definitely possible. I mean, Leonard's younger, uh, probably will take a little bit less money. I don't know how many years. I think he's been trying and trying to get a long-term deal from teams but just hasn't been able to maybe this offseason for him so you address that huge backup goaltending need where you like you said you can kind of run a rotation or a tandem and I think it'll work really well and I mentioned on the last podcast that this is the type of scenario that Henrik Lundqvist would flourish in and I think teams that are looking to upgrade their goaltending should certainly look at him as a trade option, and bring him into a situation like that. But anyway, not only did you acquire the goaltender, you also got Alec Martinez. You mentioned Nick Cousins is a good depth forward. Alec Martinez for two second-round picks, one this year, one next year. And Martinez has really solidified that back end with the defense, and he's been really impressive. He's just kind of seamlessly fit in. And to be fair, it's not a long trip from L.A. to Vegas, but give him credit. He has been outstanding early on for the Vegas Golden Knights, and, I mean, they have just completely turned their season around. I mean, it wasn't so long ago that we were wondering if this team was even going to make the playoffs, but under Pete DeBoer, they've changed the way they've played. They're much better defensively. They're much better on the penalty kill and the power play, and it seems like they're improving every single game. So give them credit. I mean, there, these were difficult moves to make, but they made some tough calls, and these moves have certainly paid off with the with the new coach and these trade deadline acquisitions.
1: Yeah, I think Vegas very in a very comfortable spot here. They've been pretty darn hot the past few games. Eight two and zero in their last ten. They won a couple in a row, and they're three points clear of Edmonton at the moment, but Edmonton does have a game in hand. So let's move on to those very Edmonton Oilers. Mac. and before we get into the trades, I think we gotta say Leon Drysaddle has been a machine.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, I mean I he has. It's almost like he all you he heard in the off season was carried by McDavid, carried by McDavid. Yeah, well, he scored 50 goals, so that's pretty good. But everyone was just praising McDavid over and over. And anytime other players would talk about players that were contributing to the team, they would always mention that Drysidel was right up there with him. And I think it, it took a while for kind of the hockey world to realize how good this guy is, but he has just like you said, been an absolute machine. And he's number one in points by a good margin. And it just, I mean, everything is going right for him. Um, He plays in all situations. He's a little bit different than McDavid in that way. And just an amazing heart trophy-like season. And, And he will likely win the heart as much as there's good Arguments for guys like McKinnon at 110 points, 43 goals, 67 assists. Can you imagine if he somehow gets to like 50 goals and he leads the league in points too?
1: That would be something else. You know what? It's very well possible. As crazy as it seems, Mac, they have 12 games left. And if Leon Dreisler can get seven, and it's not impossible by any stretch. He's been scoring at about a goal game. He's been, certainly been getting a lot of points. So don't rule it out, Mac. And, of course, Connor McDavid, even though he's been injured, he still has 96 points himself. He's yeah. he scored yeah. 33 in the season, and he's got 63 assists. And then you've got Oscar Clefbaum who's had a very good year as well. Five goals and 29 assists for 34 points.
0: Yeah, for sure, and and let's talk about the moves they made at the deadline. These most of these moves were pretty low cost. Um, of course, you you got Tyler Ennis from Ottawa for a fifth round pick. He seems to be fitting in well with Edmonton. You got Andreas Tateniue and Mike Green from the Detroit Red Wings for a couple second round picks, Sam Gagne, Kyle Brodziak, and a conditional draft pick. Not major moves. And I mentioned the, the goalie tandem situation. This goalie tandem that Ken Holland kind of threw together has been really excellent. I mean, Mike Smith with a 9.03 save percentage, and he's had his moments of brilliance. And lately, Miko Koskinen has been flat-out unbeatable with a 9.17 save percentage. They've each played 38 games. This is literally a split. And it's working out great for Edmonton. I mean, why would you, why would you change this going into next year? I don't think you will. No, I don't think. If anything, Mikko Koskinen is getting more comfortable playing as a starter, and maybe he'll get a few more games. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and I don't think it's something you change going into the playoffs if you make it there either. Because, yeah, the playoffs are a tighter schedule. But look, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Both. Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen have been very happy sharing the load between one another. So if, if you put, let's say you start Smith for game game one of a theoretical series and then you put in Koskinen for game two, I don't have any problems with that and I don't think either goaltender would have an issue with that either.
0: Yeah, for sure. So let's, let's finish off on the Oilers here. We have to mention Kyler Yamamoto, one of their top prospects. He has come up and basically been near a point a game, 25 points in 26 games. And the Oilers, they have really changed their play style under Tippett, where they they have players that understand their roles. You have guys like Josh Archibald, who's a hardworking player. He kills penalties. He's not paid very much. That just understand their role. Gaetan Haas, for example, again, kind of same type of player. They're greater than the sum of their parts. Yeah, they have Drysdale, McDavid, Nugent Hopkins, etc., but... If you look at the rest of the roster, it's not a sexy team on paper, but they know how to play. They play hard, and even when they don't have their best efforts, it seems like someone steps up, whether it's the goalie, the penalty kill, the power play, someone steps up for them when they need them the most. That's what I'm most impressed with on this Edmonton Oilers team, and and they're right in the race with Vegas, only three points behind them. They do have a game in hand. They lost to Vegas the other night. But, I mean, it's certainly been a fun team to watch this season and and give them credit. They've played very well.
1: Yeah, they've played very well indeed. And let's move on down the road to their provincial rivals who happen to be in third. And I'm hoping that it doesn't matter which seed either team is, but I really want to see Battle of Alberta playoffs we haven't seen it since the early 90s. And we're only 12 games away from potentially seeing it, UMAC. So please stay in those two spots, Edmonton and Calgary.
0: Yeah, a lot of people are hoping for that. And also in the East, they're hoping for Pittsburgh and Philly, eh?
1: Oh, yeah. that Wouldn't that be something? And it, it, Of course, it's a bit early for playoff prediction. But I got to say, I think that Philadelphia wins that one. But it it would be a real... Real barn burner of a series. Not only would it be high scoring, but there'd be a lot of uh, physicality in that too.
0: Yeah, and, and you mentioned the Flames. They're now at 79 points. Vancouver does have a game in hand on them, and they're only behind by one point. So that's a little bit worrisome. But also, if you look at their records in the last 10, 6-3-1 for Calgary, 4-5-1 and for Vancouver. So Calgary is a little bit hotter right now. And really, they need to maintain this pace if they want to make the playoffs. So let's take a look at their schedule. Their remaining games, you have... You have the New York Islanders, and that's in Calgary. You have the Winnipeg Jets in in Calgary as well. And then you go... On the road to New York for kind of a two-game set, sorry, three-game set, where you play the Rangers, the Islanders, and then the Devils. Then you play Tampa Bay at home, San Jose at home, Anaheim at home. And then it gets tough. These are your final four. These are all teams that are very close to you in the standings. At Vancouver, at home against Winnipeg, at home against Vegas, and then the final at home against Edmonton. I mean, not an easy schedule, but, I mean, you look at, I think these New York games are winnable because the Islanders have been absolutely ice cold lately. The San Jose game is winnable. The Anaheim game is winnable. Tampa Bay with their injuries, that's got to be winnable because it's on home ice. So you, I think you need to win at least 75% of these games, if you want to make the playoffs.
1: I'd say that's fair, and I think as much as Vancouver's right on their tail, I think I gotta give the edge to Calca, just because Vancouver's been so bad on the road, if you ask me. They're a completely different team, in my opinion, when they go face a, a team on the road than when they are at home in Vancouver. When they're home in Vancouver, these, the Canucks are a very good team, but you Just to switch to Vancouver for 30 seconds here, Mac. You look at the rest of Vancouver's schedule. You play Arizona tomorrow on the road. You play Colorado on the road next day. Then you're home for the weekend. You play Winnipeg on Sunday. Then you play the Lightning on the 18th. Then you go out for a bit of a mini three-game California-slash-Nevada road trip here, Mac. You play Anaheim who's on the road who's been hot as of late. You play L.A., who's been scorching hot on the road as a, at home as of late. Then you play Vegas on the road. Then you come home, you play San Jose. Then you play that aforementioned Calgary game at home. You play Anaheim. Then you play Dallas on the road. You play Arizona on the road. And then you play Vegas at home. So it's kind of about a 50-50 split there, Mac, between home and road games. And in my opinion, if, if Vancouver doesn't get their road act together... Quickly, this could be a real problem for them.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Obviously, the the Canucks have the injury to Markstrom right now, but Thatcher Demko has stepped up, and he's been very good. The team overall has not been great, like you mentioned lately. Um, And for Calgary, I mean, you've had a pretty good season. You look at the, the production from the top of the lineup, Kachuk leading with 61 points. Johnny Gaudreau at 58 points, despite all the criticism he's received this year. Lindholm, another good year, with 54. Monahan with 48. Backlund, 45. Even Mangiapani has 32. Not quite the same year from Giordano as he has 31 right now. And then again, the, the depth becomes a little bit worrisome. Derek Ryan at 29. Lucic at 20. <laughs> uh, Dube at 16. Bennett at 12, et cetera. So, again, it's it's kind of a situation where you have production from the top six and then it, it really drops off and it's very questionable. I think that's the biggest thing with Calgary is I believe in their top six. I don't believe in their bottom six.
1: Yeah, I would agree. And that's something I've, I've been saying for two or three years now, Mac. Is that
0: yeah
1: yeah Calgary's top six is quite good, but you get to the bottom six, and it just isn't that good at all. And compared to their provincial rival, it looks like it's nothing. And then you look at the moves they make at the deadline. They they make a few okay moves. You get Eric Stranson from uh, Chicago for a 2023rd round pick, and really that's one of the bigger moves you make. You also get. Derek Forbert from the LA Kings for a 2021 conditional fourth-round pick. Calgary made a few nice moves, but a lot of them were more minor league moves and, in my opinion, didn't really shore up the depth the way they wanted to.
0: Yeah, I think think that's also because of the cost of some of the assets available. Uh, But I think there's also an element of the Calgary front office looking at this team and saying, look, we're going to give it what we've got. We're going to acquire some guys at the deadline but not pay a premium for them and see what this group can do because we've been sticking with this group for a long time, and if they fail to deliver again, some changes need to be made. I don't know how big those changes are, but I do feel changes are coming in Calgary next season. So let's move on to the aforementioned Vancouver Canucks. I think – before we talk about the moves they made, the biggest surprise for me with Vancouver has been JT Miller. I mean, this guy has been outstanding.
1: I got to see him when he was in Ottawa a couple of weeks ago, Mac, and I gotta say, you know, I was there to watch guys like Elias Pettersson and and Hughes put up some real good numbers, and then... JT Miller stole the show. I believe he got a goal and assist that game. He was really controlling the play, particularly on the power play. He was really, really good. He was a power play quarterback. He was good on the def- in the defensive zone. He was his skating was very good. He was always he's pretty much always in the play, no matter what the situation is. And he is an incredible player. I gotta say, if you get a chance to see JT Miller, especially if he can keep this up, if you get a chance to see him play live, Mackie. He just does all the little things so well.
0: Yeah, and I've been, I've been a big fan of J.T. Miller for a while. Going back to his days with the Rangers, uh, kind of reminds me of kind of like a T.J. Oshi, if you if you catch my drift. Um, yeah. But yeah, you look at the moves they made. You acquire Tyler Toffoli, one of the best forwards available for Tim Scheller, Tyler Madden, one of your better prospects, a second-round pick in 2020, and a conditional fourth-round pick. So you got really one of the best forwards available. You got a little bit of goaltending depth with Louis Domingue for a minor league goaltender. So with Jakob Markstrom out for a little while. Um, But you look at the production, again, the top six has been excellent. Elias Pettersson, 66 points. Horvat, 53. Quinn Hughes has been outstanding with... 53 from the back end. Tanner Pearson, even, very underrated player with 45. Besser, he's missed some time this year, but 45. Even Jake Virtanen is approaching 40 points with 36. And then you have Adam Gaudette with 33. Edler with 33 as well. And then it kind of a little bit with Tyler Myers at 21. But I think more depth than they've had before. and And adding J.T. Miller for not a huge price, I would say, Um, has really complemented that top six very well.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think that Vancouver, even if they don't make the playoffs this year, and if they don't make the playoffs, they'll fall just short, is a team that has put the league on notice that they're going to be a team that is, in my opinion, going to contend for years to come. They've They've made all the right moves, and I think that Jim Benning should be very, even though he's taken a lot of heat, including from you and I, I think mm-hmm. that he's, he's really proven himself now.
0: Yeah, I think he's, he's learned when to be patient and when to pull the trigger. I think that there were, I've heard, I heard whispers that he was thinking about going after like a Wayne Simmons at the deadline and he was in on some other guys. But ultimately he decided, hey, let's try and get a forward for that top six. And you gave up a lot to get him, but there's a potential of him re-signing there, and he's fit in really well to Foley. So, like you said, give him credit. I mean, I can't fault him on any of these moves. And I would be really excited if I were a Canucks fan for the future, because whether you re-sign Markstrom and you keep kind of Demko in a tandem with him, which is certainly possible, or maybe... Demko moves up, and Markstrom goes elsewhere, and you sign another goalie to play in a tandem as well. Excellent goaltending, great forwards. You've got Quinn Hughes, Edler. I mean, this is a team that's certainly going to be a threat for years to come.
1: Absolutely, and you know, even though Tyler Toffoli was acquired as a rental, you you can never rule out a guy. Resigning in Vancouver. He, he clearly likes it there. He's got friends there He's been playing very well, and of course if the salary cap goes up to 88 million And there's the potential that it might doesn't seem likely at this point, but you never know Mac it, it certainly frees up a lot of cap space for Jim Benning to work with and He could shock the hockey world and resign Tyler to Foley. That would be a huge sign mm-hmm. I don't see it happening, not with their cap situation, but you can never rule it out.
0: Yeah, for sure. Okay, on to Arizona, who has just dealt uh, with so many injuries, and it's been tough for them. Five five and five in their last ten. They've lost two in a row. They just got back Darcy Kemper, and they've just been – just haven't been able to hit that full stride this year, it seems. They've never really been able to pull together a big winning streak. And again, they, they don't have a whole lot of offense. I mean, their top scorer is Nick Schmaltz with 45 points. Clayton Keller has only 44 points. And yes, I'm going to mention this again. Phil Kessel has 38 points. <laughs> Taylor Hall has 27 points. Meanwhile, your goaltenders are basically holding you in it, and that includes Aiden Hill who is a very good young goaltender that they have. I mean, you look at these save percentages, they're outstanding. Kemper, 928 with a 2.22 goals against average. Aiden Hill, 918 with a 2.62 goals against average. Ante Ranta, a 921 with a 2.63 goals against average. These are basically the guys that are helping you win games. There's no question about it. It's,
1: it's amazing really (laughs) they're the reason why arizona has got a shot here it's still in my opinion a very low chance but arizona for me is just so frustrating because every year i every year and you can go back and listen to all our season preview shows i keep saying you know maybe arizona has finally got something this year they've made some nice moves they've the goaltending's been good. They've shorn up some depth. They've got some good forwards. And then injuries hit, or they just never hit their stride. So, yeah, yeah. I don't believe in Arizona making the playoffs, Mac.
0: And neither really do I. I just think it's too tough. There's too many good teams that are ahead of them. And I, I just don't see the offense being able to provide for the goaltending enough. It's just... It's not. There's not enough scoring there, and, and it's there's too much inconsistency, and I just think it's it's too big of a hill for them to climb right now at the end of the season.
1: I agree. I completely. So agree.
0: Uh, I, once again, we'll we'll be interested to see what they do in the off season, but <laughs> it's it's certainly uh, frustrating for. The Coyotes in their front office because they've tried to improve this team. They really have. It's just that these moves just aren't quite working out the way they wanted to. So let's move on in the division to the Anaheim Ducks, who obviously they were in sell mode and they traded away a number of assets, including Corbinian Holzer, who I mentioned to Nashville for a six round pick, and Matt Irwin. You acquired a young player in Sonny Milano from. Columbus for Devin Shore, he didn't give out much there. And I'm going to mention one here that I really like because neither of us were really sure why this particular player fell out of favor in Washington. He acquired young defenseman Christian Juice for Daniel Sprong. That is basically next to nothing. Daniel Sprong is a guy who teams have acquired hoping that his success in junior will translate to the AHL and NHL level, and it just hasn't. And then you move Nick Ritchie, getting Danton Heinen. I like that. I think Danton Heinen is a guy who can really add to your lineup. And then Derek Grant, you weren't going to get a whole lot for, but you wanted him to have a chance to win with a team, so you got a fourth-round pick and a prospect for him. And then the big move was trading away Andre Kasha for a first-round pick, David Backus, and Axel Anderson one of their better prospects so I mean overall I, th- I think a pretty good trade line for the Ducks
1: yeah I would agree I think that Anaheim once again you and I talked about it at the start of the season when Anaheim was quite good we said you know this is a team that may not ha- keep the momentum all season there's a chance, it's a good chance of that but they're slowly heading in the right direction I think that Anaheim in two three seasons could be a team that can consistently be at the top of the Pacific division again.
0: Yeah, we'll see. I, I, they obviously have a long way to go, but I, I like what they've done. I really do. And I, I'll give them credit for making these moves and acquiring some young players when you can and selling off these assets and getting a lot for them. I mean, that Andre Kasha haul is, haul is huge because, first of all, you get a top prospect, You get a first round pick and you get David Backus who on a reduced salary can really be kind of a leader in the locker room for your team. He's a guy who's been around a long time and the cap is really not a huge concern for Anaheim right now. So, I mean, you look at the young players they have, you've got Max Jones, who's a good young player, Sam Steele as well. And then even, we mentioned Danton Heinen, Sonny Milano, and you have some top prospects coming up as well. So, I mean, this is kind of what we expected for Anaheim. They started out hot, but they just couldn't maintain that momentum because they just don't have the personnel. They're just not good enough yet. But I like the way they play. They play hard, and I like the way they're coached. And obviously when you have a goaltender like John Gibson in a retool like this, it helps a lot. So I'll give them credit. I think they did a good job here.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think that they're doing a good job. It's still going to be a little while to see some results, but I think we're slowly starting to see them. And I think Anaheim's heading in the right direction. And then oh. if we head up the road to San Jose Mac, I'd say they're heading in the wrong direction.
0: Uh I, I don't understand San Jose. I really just don't. Anyway, you traded away future considerations for a defenseman, depth defenseman in Brandon Davidson. I like the move to get rid of Barkley Goodrow in a third-round pick for a first-round pick in Anthony Greco. I think that's a great move. Um, you traded away Marlowe for a conditional third, and you traded away Brendan Dillon for a second round pick and a conditional third. I mean, these are good moves, but from what I heard, the whispers around the deadline were that this team is going to try and contend next year. And I, I just, I don't get it. I don't don't Mm -hmm. think it's good enough. I don't think they have enough players. I don't think if you really think Martin Jones is the answer in that with Aaron Dell, I think you're mistaken. Here's what I'll say about San Jose. I think Doug Wilson is guilty of kind of falling in love with his players here. I mean, I don't understand how this man, who is obviously a very smart guy, he had a long career in the NHL as a player, and he's had a long career in a front office. I don't understand how you can go into an offseason and say, Martin Jones is the guy to lead us to a Stanley Cup. The last time Merton Jones was good enough to lead you to a Stanley Cup, he did, and you lost to Pittsburgh. But that was a long time ago. I mean, you're talking about several years ago. You fast-forward to today, he's older, he's not quite as good, and Brent Burns has declined. You've got all these veterans, and there's an opportunity there. You've got so many good young players to just retool a little bit and remake your roster, but you just refuse to do it it's it's very puzzling to say the least
1: absolutely i don't get it in san jose because even if everyone's healthy next year and they were at the start of the season they weren't going anywhere i think that yeah a a lot of their best players are starting to get past their prime and you know i love eric carlson but injuries have just taken an absolute toll on him playing the style of hockey di- he did for over half of a decade in Ottawa certainly seems to have taken a toll on his body. And I think he can certainly rebound. He's one of those types of players that can do that. But even if he does, I don't think he's going to put up the numbers he did in Ottawa. And you're paying him $11 million a year. And that's taking up a good chunk of your cap. And that's not the only deal that you've got. You've got a Vander Kane's deal. You- you've got... Plastic deal, and as you mentioned, the goaltending just it doesn't get any better for San Jose. And let's not forget that they don't have their first overall pick.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's right as well. You mentioned age. Average age of the forwards is 26.1. Average age of the defense is 26.9. And average age of the goaltenders is 30. So this is an old team. And, again, we don't quite understand what they're doing. But, I mean, Thomas Hurdle, for example, he's 26 years old. How long is it going to be before he's 30 years old and you're carrying the same group of players? It's, and, and not only that, but you have long-term contracts for Brent Burns. Brent Burns is paid $8 million until 2024-2025. It's it's going to be tough for them to really wiggle out of this unless they can accept the fact that you need to retool. That's the only way out of this, in my opinion.
1: I agree. If you keep trying to stay stay the course as Doug Wilson has stated he wants to do, I think you just get into a worse situation. You can't win with this group. And, of course, you and I love to be proven wrong sometimes, but I just don't see it happening with this group. I think you got to retool. You got to make some moves to get a little more cap space, but as you mentioned, that's going to be real tough. Yeah, it's not looking good in San Jose, and, and as of course I mentioned once already, they don't have their first overall pick. And I'd say that I'd say between Ottawa, Ottawa's situation last year and San Jose's situation this year, I'd say San Jose's got it worse because. San Jose has been worse than Ottawa, in my opinion, Ottawa was last year, and it's a, str- it's a much stronger draft than last year's was. So even if, you're, even if you're giving up, let's say, your pick falls to sixth overall, that's still potentially a very solid player. You look at the mock drafts that we've had come out sometimes, a guy like Jamie Drisdale and Alexander Holtz are kind of around six. Same with Cole Perfetti. So these are very solid players that are going around four, five, six, and boy, could they help San Jose? But Doug Wilson—he saw his team as a contending team when he made that Carlson move, and they were, were decent last year. But things have just fallen apart. I think age has finally caught up with them, and I think the cap is certainly catching up with them quickly.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think if there was a year where they were going and and they had the team, I mean, it was last year they had. First of all, you had Nyquist uh, on kind of a, a cheap deal where it was a rental trade and you just had really one of the best rosters going to the playoffs that you just couldn't win with. And I mean, Martin Jones, again, he disappointed when they needed him the most down the stretch in those playoffs. So. Let's move on to our final team here, the LA Kings. And I gotta say, despite the fact that they're low in the standings, I have a lot of good things to say about the LA Kings this year, Matt.
1: Yeah, LA has been hot as of late. They're seven-two and one in the last ten. They've won-, won six in a row, and it may not be good for the uh, for the uh, draft picks and their lottery odds. But you know what? Sometimes your players need to win. You have to remember, Mac. These guys are professional athletes, and they're never going to want to lose on purpose. So, give LA some credit. I think they had a solid deadline, as we mentioned earlier in the show. They've they picked up a twenty twenty one conditional fourth round pick from Calgary for Derek Forbird and as well as I know they made another move here, Mac. But I, oh yes, yeah, the Tyler Foley move, of course. Yes. I lost in my notes again. In which, he, as you mentioned earlier in the show, Mac, they got a lot of real good assets from Vancouver. And I think that L.A. is certainly quickly moving in the right direction. I would agree with you there, Mac.
0: Yeah, not, not only are, do they have good pieces and they have good young players, but they play hard. I mean, they they do not give other teams wins just like that. I mean, this is not a situation where, I was going to mention Detroit, but Detroit has been playing better lately, so I'll give them credit for that. But basically, you go and do a game against the LA Kings, and you're going to have to earn a victory. They may not win the game, but they'll play hard. They'll wear you down. They still have guys like Andrzej Kopitar and Doughty and Brown, but less guys like that and more guys like Kempe, Ayafalo, and obviously you had the debut of Velarde, you're going to see more young prospects coming up soon. Mikey Anderson has played five games with them. He's a good young prospect. Cal Peterson looks like he might be the long-term answer in net for them. And and Jonathan Quick lately, despite his overall season numbers, has been excellent. He looks like he's kind of a little back to that old Jonathan Quick. So, so maybe you can run a tandem with him and Peterson next year. And I think that's that's a very good goaltending. For them so yeah I not only are they doing the right things in terms of acquiring assets but you're not I wouldn't call this a tanking team because they play hard and yes they're rebuilding and yes they don't have a great roster but they make you earn every single victory against them
1: yeah and I think that's good for Moral on the team and it's also just it's a good feeling overall. I think LA, the Kings at least, could use a win. And I think that at the end of the day, you got to remember that it's a draft lottery. And even with this surge from the LA Kings over the past couple weeks, they could still end up at number one. So you might as well win when you can. Get your players some experience. Get them better. And I think that LA is doing the rebuild right. Alright,
0: so I think that just about does it. Any other closing thoughts, Matt?
1: Oh, well, not at the moment. I think that we've got a lot of thoughts that we can save for our next episode, which will be soon. So, I think we'll save them for then. Overall, a very busy trade deadline. I think that we may not see a trade deadline this busy again for quite a while. It was a record number of trades. I think that We may see something like this again when Seattle comes into the league and the expansion draft looms on the horizon because teams may have learned their lesson from George McPhee a couple years ago. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the trade lines in the future. But I'd say overall teams got what they wanted out of the deadline, and this will be a deadline that I think we'll look back on for quite some time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So once again, thanks for listening wherever you are. We appreciate each and every one of you. This has been Center Ice brought to you by the National Podcast Network. My name is Mac for Matt, saying goodbye. Enjoy the games, guys.